Welcome to the Warlord Games official podcast. My name is Brad, a.k.a. Old Man Morin, and you might know my voice for some other podcasts, but that is not the time for these today. Today is the day to talk Warlord, and we have got a show for you. Uh, we have the much-anticipated release of the Conflict 47 Defiance book, and there is just so much great information to drop with that. So many tidbits that expand the universe and expand the game that I, I'm, as a fan of the game, I cannot wait to get into it. But before we do that, as always, I need to introduce my co-host, the man of the hour, the tower of power himself, Paul Sawyer. How are you? Welcome to your own podcast. Oh, thanks, Brad. Yeah, uh, life's good. Life's very good. Busy, busy, busy. Yeah, lots of uh, games and uh, miniatures to make for everybody. But uh, yeah, good, good. Fantastic. Now... I understand that you've been a bit of a Grinch, and you have not had an opportunity to do much gaming yourself. No, 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 uh, no gaming, no painting. Sadly, since we last spoke, it's uh, it's um, yeah, all been about uh, dealing with uh, sculptors, artists, games developers, etc., which is. Uh, a bit of a job, as you can imagine. Herding cats comes to mind. Yeah. Well, as a primary school teacher, herding cats is my middle name. Uh, I definitely know that feeling. But uh, I, I, I do have to say, though, Paul, I know that it's your job and that you have to go to work every day and drink your coffee and make sure that the, the gears are turning and, you know, keeping industry going. But I really enjoy the fruits of your labor, and I know our listeners do, too. So thanks. <laughs> yeah yeah it's um it's one of the things they say when you uh when you work in your hobby you know, the hobby suffers uh, and it, it goes in fits and starts exactly. know, so i still find time for for for, for painting here and there mm -hmm. but uh, yeah most of the most of my time is spent uh, uh pulling together stuff for warlord yeah well again uh and in a very serious note, thank you very much for your hard work, because without it, we would not get literally half of, if not less than, what we get already, and there's just so many great things coming. It's awesome. Well, well you owe me, clearly. Well, yeah, well, you know. Uh, next time over in the UK, I'll take you to the bar. How's that? <laughs> yes, uh, Coke is quite expensive over here. Yes, it is, that Coca-Cola. Actually, strangely, in yeah. Australia, it is far more expensive than I'm used to. But then again, uh, as we were talking about off air, things in Australia and things in the United States cost slightly different amounts. Uh, the ratios don't exactly work out. But we are not here to talk about trade deficits uh, or exchange rate weirdness or the cost of living in Australia. We are here to talk about gaming. Now, I actually, I've been up to about a million little things, um, but a good chunk of those little things um, add up to preparing for an event that is not this weekend coming up it is the following and that is an event in melbourne called operation bear now i am running a bolt action event uh it is 1111 points and it is a one-day event and it is three games two of which are objective based missions and one of them is a uh, it's like a kill point situation. Uh, just sort of cut down on those people who like to take all the order dice on their lists. Uh, but uh, we've really seen an upswing in 
uh, new players in Melbourne. It's really exciting. A lot of experienced wargamers jumping over from other game systems. A lot of new players who've never played war games at all are coming over. Uh, it's just like people are coming out of the woodwork. It's the promised time, I guess, to be playing bolt action in Melbourne, Australia. And man, it's just awesome to see. So I originally planned for this event to be 20 players. And um, I put out a wait list. Uh, or not a waitlist. I put out a, a, a registry time, and I said, "Hey, if you would like to register, um, we're going to be fairly stringent about the kind of lists that come in, and we're looking for a really beginner-friendly. Uh, just it's a fun gaming day. Um, none, none of the filth. Please, you know, uh, try not to take everything that's efficient. Try to take some historically themed lists. We'll have some historical tables. It'll be a good time. Show up. Uh, the event sold out in twenty minutes." Um, and then we had to just keep going. Uh, and now we're sitting at our maximum number of players at 33 uh, and a wait list. So I'm very excited that this is happening. We have some cool swag um, that we're having made specially for the event. Uh, we have some trophies that are being uh, sent over from Warlord, I believe. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure we'll uh, we'll take care of you on that front. Nope, you already have. It's already in the mail. Check's already in the mail, uh, sir. Marvelous. Thank you very much. And uh, I am more than excited uh, just to to get that many members of the community involved. Um, of course, the local distributor for Warlord, War and Peace Games, have donated a huge number of prizes. Warlord's donated a huge number of prizes. Um, and uh, Knights of Dice, a local terrain company, has as well. And they are donating, or they've actually contributed five tables of terrain to the event as it is. So it's just a local community coming together to support uh, the bolt action scene and the bolt action scene coming out in spades. And it's just awesome to see. I, I'm just really excited. Um, to get that many people out and play some friendly games, have a good time. Um, yes, we're giving out trophies for first, second, and third, but we're giving six other trophies um, for people who are, um, you know, best historical army. Um, we have one for best painted, for best sports, uh, for what we call uh, the bolt action badass, which is, you know, playing quote unquote hard mode, taking an army that people say can't win and having a good time with it. Uh, there's just, there's just so much to it. Um, it's just going to be a great day for gaming. And I'm really excited and written three new missions uh, for the event. And uh, local players have been uh, testing it for me and some other uh, TOs in the UK have as well. Uh, so it's just turning out, it, I think it's going to be a great day. I'm really excited and I just can't wait for it to happen. So if you happen to be in Melbourne on October 1st, and you would like to drop down to good games in the city uh, and uh, hang out and say hi, we would love to have you. Unfortunately, we're sold out, but uh, we would love to see you become part of the local Melbourne bolt action scene. Anyway, uh, that, I'm just really excited about everything. Paul, sorry, I don't mean to waffle on. No, that's fine. Uh, I love hearing um, people's passion for the hobby. Um, it's a fine line between frantic and passion, but I think even when uh, you see people uh, on the internet or in person um, frothing at the mouth as they tell you about their latest thing, they're just understanding that underneath all that is a fantastic passion for the hobby. Exactly. And uh, yeah, it, it's all good. And the fact that you've sold out so fast, the fact that you've got 
um, distributors and um, other companies involved and everybody supporting it. It only be good for the hobby. So well done, sir. Oh, I'm just excited. I'm just one dude with the microphone. It's uh, the community that's coming out to play. That's all. Uh, that's all that matters. But uh, let's let's well, move sure, on. Yeah, oh, sorry. Sure, yeah. Sorry, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> so talk over there. I, I, make sure you get plenty of pictures. And yes, we'll, sir. So I'd love to stick that into our uh, uh, our email newsletter for those people that don't uh, um, listen to the podcast, aka lightweights. <laughs> yes. Oh, I uh, I love those the emails that I'm getting from you guys. I'm loving all the content that keeps coming out. So yes, I would love to contribute to that because I always enjoy mm, seeing. What's uh, what's popping in the warlord world, and uh, yeah, it would be nice to see a little uh, a little piece of Melbourne in there as well. So yeah, well, definitely. it's very important to us uh, that we uh, reflect the community rather than it just being you know, what warlords doing. You know, the, the real hobbies out there in the world. Yeah, you know, we make things available, but yeah, you know, the real hobby is in game stores, they're in clubs, they're in people's living rooms. Yeah, um, they're on people's um, painting stations. Um, all of that stuff is the real hobby. So we'd love to see more of that. And you know, I'd ask any of our listeners that you know, if they've got um, uh, a similar endeavor or a great conversion they've got or a, mm-hmm. they know of somebody with a great-looking army, then then please get in touch. And we'll, uh, we'd love to show them off. Fantastic. Now, how can people contact you? Um, probably the, the easiest way is through um, info at warlordgames.com. Uh, we, we may pull together a, a new email address that, that covers this, but for now, that's a good starting point. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I, I'm sorry, Paul. I, I, I'm having trouble hearing you over the sound of the, the calls for information and tidbits in the background. <laughs> I hear, the, I hear the, the calls through the internets. Um, now, we've, I, uh, I get a lot of requests and a lot of uh, feedback about the show through my personal page all the time. Uh, and thank you to everyone who has all the kind words. It's actually, it's awesome. Thank you, uh, everyone who listens. Uh, but one of the things that I've been absolutely gobsmacked with is the amount of people that want information about the next thing we're talking about. So we could have put this buried the lead, but we thought we wouldn't. We thought we'd get straight to it. Now, for you 2000 AD fans, Paul, talk to us. Give us the joy, because I want to know more about Strontium Dog. Right. Strontium Dog... Uh, is one of the strips from the legendary 2000 AD comic published by Rebellion. Yes. That's been going for many years. 76, I believe, was the first one. Wow. Uh, I remember because I bought it and I've been getting it ever since. Uh, so the 2000 AD license um, that we've taken on doesn't just cover Strontium Dog. It will cover Joe Strad. It will cover Slane. It will cover Rogue Trooper uh, nice. and many more besides. But obviously we can't do everything in one hit. Um we had the um, agreement to distribute uh, the Mongoose Dread Game, uh, mm-hmm. and when that license ended, uh, we took we spoke to Rebellion and uh, and got a, a much bigger license. Uh, we decided that we didn't want to do Dread. Uh, we didn't want to do Dread first, rather, okay. uh, for a number of reasons. One, we'd just done the thing with Mongoose, and to lead straight into another game about Dread, we felt it'd be good to just give things a little bit of a break. Mm-hmm. Uh, reset the clock a little bit, uh, think about how we might want to do it uh, and go in a different direction. Um, But also because 
there are so many great strips there that we grew up with. Mm-hmm. Um, we wanted to do something different, do something a little bit out of the out of the box. So we talked about doing Road Trip, but there have been Road Trooper games out there, mm-hmm. uh, and, and we we talked about yeah you know, what we could do for Dread. And of course, there are many possibilities with Dread from Block Water, Cursed Earth, Apocalypse mm-hmm. War, uh, the Dark Judges, all of those things. And I'm sure we'll we'll get to them in in good time. But one thing that um, stood out when we were talking about this uh, was Strontium Dog as a, a get, um, as a strip about mutant bounty hunters in the far future. Mm-hmm. Um, mutants have been um, uh, ostracized by uh, norms or normal humans mm-hmm. uh, and, and effectively live in ghettos. Um, but the only only real job they can do are bounty hunters for the search and destroy agency. Um, also known as the SD agency, and that's where the uh, the nickname comes. Strontium dogs has the same initials, and that obviously refers to uh, um, the radiation. So uh, we we were talking about what we do there, uh, and uh, renowned games developers Andy Chambers and Gav Thorpe got so excited about this uh, that they really wanted to do Strontium Dog first and do a, a gunfighter game, um, as as you can imagine from from reading the strips. Um, lots of lots of great action in there. Um, all the great characters that you'd expect to see. So uh, Johnny Alpha is, and Wolf Sternhammer as the the main leads uh, for the strip, but also those um, great supporting um, characters: Midden Face, McNulty, Durham Red, mm-hmm. Kidney. All of those great characters, and then again, lots and lots of um, baddies. So we've got the Sticks Brothers, we've got the Weirds, um, uh, we've got um, Darkus and his Howlers, we've got Steel Krieg, we've got Canseer, we've got loads and loads of great models coming through, um, and a lot more to come besides. So what we're doing at the moment is um, we've just started to reveal the first few miniatures yes uh we revealed durham red yesterday Mm -hmm. um on our facebook page uh and i believe today um a certain form of viking might get uh um an outing uh and and we're planning to show off um more and more miniatures over the coming week uh and then uh we'll also have um a trailer uh video coming out shortly which will show off uh, a lot more of the range uh, a lot more of the action um, and then we'll be opening pre-orders soon so we've got a lot of interest in this game um, one I'm really really looking forward to having grown up with 2000 AD the, the opportunity to have this license and the Doctor Who license which we have mm-hmm. are you know, real <laughs> really exciting for me personally and I'm hoping that that's going to come through in the uh, the game in the miniatures I mean the game itself plays incredibly well fast paced um the use of um, cards in the game. So there are armory cards, which are effectively your hardware and equipment, mm-hmm. and chicanery cards, which are your dirty tricks and sleight of hand. Uh, and these allow for the game to, to swing wildly backwards and forwards. Not, not like you get in many games where you start off, and as, as soon as you get the upper hand, it's really difficult to kind of overcome that. With this, you can be up, you know, odds on you're about to win, and then all of a sudden, if your opponent who's got the upper hand, mm-hmm. but also really, really um, characterize that comic book feel 
that all action, um, the um, the coming back from the dead almost. Um, and I, yeah, I think people are going to love the system. They're going to really like the look of it. Uh, and the miniatures are some of the best uh, best that we've done so far, I think. They're so, yeah, I've seen a, a couple little happy snaps and they look amazing. Now, my question is uh, really quick, and I have a couple quick ones for you. The miniatures, they seem, that at least maybe because they're epically sized, um, they seem to be slightly larger than your usual scale. Are they 32s or are they 25 mil, 28? Do you know? Yeah, we, they're, they're, it's hard to kind of explain really because there are so many different uh, terms for these things. Mm. Uh, probably, probably call them heroic 28. So you're, they're around about 32. Uh, really, well, we wanted to go for something that allowed us to have a little bit more uh, detail on there. And obviously, the smaller you go, the harder it is. Uh, because mm-hmm. these are all digitally sculpted, the, the details are incredibly fine. So, um, yeah, we wanted to give the best chance of that coming out and the best chance for people to be able to paint them. Excellent. Now, what sort of you said this was a shooting game, and I'm loving the use of the cards and uh, the chicanery and the the whole you know that that things can swing very one way or the other. Uh, it it feels very cinematic and very comic book to me. Um, is this sort of a how many miniatures are we talking per side? How long a game per game? Is this something I can knock over two or three games a night, or is this a one game a night kind of situation? What what can we look forward to? Well, in, in terms of miniatures, um, obviously, if you if you go with Johnny and Wolf, they're almost a two man army themselves. Okay. Um, so really, the you, you're talking about two miniatures up to about ten to twelve mm-hmm. on average. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, it, you can scale it up, but then you, you know, things will take a little longer. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a campaign system, um, which would make a lot of sense, where we talk about yeah, you yeah. Know, the bounty, the notoriety, uh, the payoff. And all of this is uh, interwoven with the cards and the gameplay. So at, at every turn, you're not just considering how am I going to win the game, but you know, how much money am I going to make from it? Mm-hmm. Um, how is it going to affect my game's notoriety? So whilst it's a, um, a relatively easy game to get into to start with, there are a lot of nuances um, to take into account throughout. Uh, and we think this is going to have um, you know, uh, a real bearing on how people play this um, for, for many, many months, if not years. Um, in, in terms of the, the speed of game, um, a, a game you know, could last an hour um, or it could last longer. It, it depends mm-hmm. partly on um, the missions, um, everything is very scenario-driven, again, with that comic book style. Um, and the, the the size of your um, gang, for want of a better word, your band. Yeah. Um, the one, Another thing that um, uh, we've been asked recently is, you know, is it a goodies and baddies game? Well, anybody who's read the Strong Tim Dog strip realizes yeah. that, uh, aside from, you know, our two heroes, um, goodies and baddies are... Uh, it's a very fine line. Yeah, you know, you now have Strontium dogs who work for the Search and Destroy Agency, um, who are not good. Yeah, you know, the Sticks mm-hmm. brothers, uh, in particular, and there are others of questionable, questionable repute. Uh, plenty that have gone renegade. Um, conversely, you've got um, some that you consider bad guys that could quite happily work alongside Johnny and Wolf. So there's a, a lot of granularity in what you can pick. Um, there, I, I can't think off the top of my head too many instances where um, 
a set of models won't work with another set of models. So you've got a, a great deal of choice when you're, you're building up your band of models. It makes everything incredibly collectible. Nice. Um, every um, every box set that we release with the miniatures is going to have character cards and new armory and chicanery cards. So you're not just going to be collecting the models, you'll also be collecting the additional equipment, the additional chicanery and dirty mm -hmm. tricks and the character card for that. So we're, hopefully we're, we're presenting um, a very, very attractive product to, um, to gamers um, to help them play the game much smoothly, much more smoothly. Well, I'm just excited. I mean, as a fan of 2000 AD in a big way, this game is calling to me, even if it wasn't made by you guys. But as, as is obvious, as the guy who's doing the podcast with you, I'm also a huge fan of Warlord. Um, true story, guys. Um, not going to hide that. And so combine the two, and I'm really excited. And then you throw you know, names like Gab Thorpe and Andy Chambers on top it just keeps getting better and better. So I'm absolutely going to be jumping on this game the second I can get my grubby paws on it. So, uh, yeah, very excited well, about that. Well, that, the guys have done a fantastic job on it. Again, massive 2080 fans. Uh, they know the, uh, the strips inside out, the, the, the chance for them to work on something that they grew up on with as well uh, was a massive draw in, uh, in, in them working with us on this. Nice. So yeah, I think between the between the rules, uh, the great work they got the the design team have done on the the look of it, um, our work with Rebellion uh, and the miniature design, uh, it's looking fantastic. We're very very proud of it so far. Nice. Now I do also have to notice that in some of the uh, in a newsletter I got this week and on through your Facebook page, I've seen quite a lot of hype about this game, and it says coming soon. Now, can you tell us exactly how soon or a ballpark? Am I looking, do I have to wait till Halloween for this? Is this going to be Christmas or is is is, is my wait going to be short? Oh, it's a very, very short wait. Yes. Uh, we're, talking, we're talking about mid to, mid to late July. Oh, perfect. So very, very soon. Uh, so we're, we're revealing some of the miniatures on, on Facebook at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, I'd expect pre-orders to be available within a week. Uh, obviously, you'll be seeing a lot more um, information. There's the trailer video I mentioned earlier. Um, so a lot of your answers should be, <laughs> your questions should be answered right. uh, in short order. Excellent. Well, but I think we better move on before the smile on my face becomes permanent. So and then there's so many other things to talk about. But all right. Last episode, um, we we dropped some more information about Blood Red Skies, and uh, the episode of, before that, of course, was about Blood Red Skies. Let's talk about what's coming up, because, I mean, the game's been doing really well, and a lot of people have been playing it, but there's even more up the pipe. So what can we look forward to? Well, more planes, uh, more plastic planes. Nice. Uh, we're working um, hard at the moment. We've had the first test shots of... Uh, a de Havilland Mosquito and a Hawker Hurricane, which should help us with the uh, uh, both the Battle of Britain theme and, and uh, strengthening the RAF. Mm -hmm. um, alongside those, we will be introducing more aces, so Johnny Johnson, Douglas Bader, um, uh, some of the Poles um, fought alongside uh, the British counterparts in the Battle of Britain. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not going to try and, try and pronounce the names. Lots of Zs involved. Yes. Um, 
we've just recently re- um, released um, some blood vessel guys dice bags, which are fantastic things yeah. uh, to allow you to, <laughs> nice, nicely themed for individual nations. Uh, they'd be great for um, bolt action as yeah, well as for will. blood red skies. Um, but again, allows you to roll your dice without having to worry about them being cocked on bits of terrain or flying off the table mm-hmm. or cluttering up your wonderful looking battlefield. So, yeah, lots lots coming from Blood Red Skies. Um, the the work's already being done on uh, the next nation to get uh, uh, reinforcements. So that'll be Germany, uh, where we have a, a Focker Wolf 190 and a, a Messerschmitt BF 110 Zestora. So again, we'll have a, a twin twin and a single engined um, aircraft for for the Germans. Um, we're already uh, arm wrestling over what the US uh, should get because they have quite a few options. Yeah, well, there's, there's, yeah, it, just the the quality of the planes, having seen them in person now, are just so it's so fine and so nicely detailed that you can actually it, they almost paint themselves, uh, and just to see you guys just keep cranking them out, it's just awesome to see, and it's great that uh, yeah, the Germans are getting some more uh, reinforcements for the sky. Well, targets we call them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, I, I find that you don't ever pick a side, Paul. Have you noticed that? <laughs> no, I'm fairly, I'm fairly uh, on the fence when it comes to uh, things. It's uh, the mm. British and foreigners. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, right on. Well, uh, while we're while we're talking foreign lands, shall we talk test of honor? Yes, absolutely. Um, quite a stir recently with the. Uh, uh, the the pre-orders going out for the Honor Bagatia, yes. obviously um, uh, female warriors mm-hmm. um, staying behind to defend hearth and home while the the men folk are off fighting battles and uh, uh, and such uh, and and uh, Marco um, who's sculpted these is an amazing job. Uh, everybody who's seen these, whether they're into Test of Honor or Samurai, has been mm-hmm. blown away by them. And the fantastic paint job that Andres has uh, pulled together. Um, absolutely amazing. Um, and everybody who's seen these, oh, I just must have them. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, if you haven't seen them so far, um, because maybe you're not uh, a fan of the period, please go and check out the Honor Bagatia because they are glorious. They are truly fantastic. Now, I, I am a big fan of especially the most recent uh, kits that you guys have put out. Um, I bought the Ninjas um, because, again, I'm a bad person. But there's uh, they some of those kits have just been fantastic. But as you say, this may be the best yet. I'm looking at the detail on these models. And, you know, they're fine, detailed models to start with. But you can tell that these are women models if you are familiar with the regular um line they they are feminine they are more slender than their male counterparts uh in the range but they're not you know your stereotypical um quote unquote you know female miniatures they don't have over exaggerated hips and other body parts they are just so fantastically they are what they should be and the armor is is so detailed and it's just they're wonderful guys i know this is me on radio describing a picture so that makes for bad radio however 
Trust me, do yourself a favor, go to the Warlord website, look these girls up. They are sensational. And it looks like um, Sarissa will be uh, contributing another wonderful terrain piece to link with it, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I've got the, the, the Dragon House, um, uh, the Samurai um, House, uh, which has been um, heavily themed. Uh, and again, yeah. take take a take a look at that. That's uh, that's a fantastic piece of scenery that will uh, appeal to many of you. Yeah, I mean, it just ties in again with the the Sohai and the temple that you guys did before, and the ninjas um, with the dojo assault before that. There's just the 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 models tied to the terrain with the missions in the boxes for each one of these just makes every every time one of these boxes comes out, it just brings so much more to the gaming table if you're a fan of this game. Um, it's it's really, I know some people when they first looked at the game went, well, you know, there's a couple of war bands and they're very similar. The game is no longer that way at all. There's just so much depth and so, so many interesting options you can explore now. Um, it's fantastic and I really recommend that people check it out. Uh, I have the game on my shelf. I'm looking forward to playing it in the next couple of weeks when I go on school holiday. Uh, one of my good mates has been uh, ribbing me and I take very little ribbing to get going with this game because, yeah, great stuff. Great. I mean, anybody who's uh, uh, been looking at Test of Honor and has yet to make the, uh, uh, take, the, uh, take the plunge um, and pick up the game, uh, now's a great time. Um, we've got a a, a three for two offer on our web store mm-hmm. so pick up three box sets for the price of two which can't be sniffed at um so yeah ch- check that out and uh, save yourself a few quid absolutely and that is a great deal i i'm very strongly considering picking up uh some more ninjas because oh i need to stop doing that um no. right. <laughs> sorry go ahead more ninjas yeah you can never have too many ninjas uh yeah right you are a batman (laughs) yeah exactly well you can't see them they're easy to store (laughs) just empty bases that's right just empty bases as far as the eye can see if only i could convince my wife that that was actually true anyway uh let's talk bolt action because uh, this wouldn't, you know, the bolt action community would probably come at me with pitchforks if we didn't talk shop. Um, now, I have seen in person the new uh, American plastics, and oh my God, they are good. Um, you talked about them on the last podcast, and they are truly sensational, Paul. You guys have taken, um, you know, one of their one of your base. Uh, you know, troop building kits for one of the big armies in bolt action. And you've just knocked it up another couple of notches uh, above what your great plastic kits were before. They are sensational. Um, I mean, clearly you've seen them, but they are, I mean, the, there's just tons of options right on the sprue. In fact, I'm holding the sprue in a plastic bag right here. And I'm looking at the detail of the faces, um, just the SMGs, the different types of rifles, the bar, the bazooka, um, and you get that on every single sprue. It's just sensational. Um, now, these are officially out, and people can get them, correct? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm chuffed that you're um, so pleased with them. Um, obviously, as a big bolt action fan yourself and uh, someone, of our, someone of our former colony, uh, mm-hmm. it's... Uh, it's really heartening. So like I think I said last time we, we spoke, um, Warlord's been going for 10, 11 years now. Uh, uh, and as we learn, as technology develops, uh, 
we're looking to you know, redo some of our older kits, bring them up to speed. Uh, and this is one that uh, we were very, very keen to do. We did it recently with our um, Panzer Grenadiers mm-hmm. from our old German infantry. Uh, at the time, they were nice, but now they're great. And I'd like to think that we did the same thing with the with the Americans. Yeah, they were nice at the start. Uh, for, for their time, they were great. But, uh, yeah, now we're looking at uh, a much more modern kit, modern kit with loads more um, great options, uh, better posing, mm-hmm. better detailing. Um, one of the things that we were um, keen on when we first started was to have separate weapons and separate arms and allow a lot of converting. Um, but, although the, uh, the the premise was a good one, uh, a lot of the feedback we had was that actually gamers don't necessarily want that. Yes, there are going to be people out there that do, but but most people want something that gives you a little bit of posing, but is easy to put together and get on the tabletop. So we've dispensed with the, the, the separate weapons on the whole, uh, and you'll find it much more easy to uh, uh, put the models together uh, and get them on the tabletop. Uh, and we, th- we, th- we think we've done a cracking job on these, so I'm, I'm delighted that you concur. Yes. Well, I mean, I, as as a, one of the people who is rejoicing that you have put the weapons on the arms, um, I, I absolutely, I started of the same philosophy you did of, great, I can convert these all day long. And I did. And it took forever. And I eventually got to the point where I said, ain't nobody got time for plastics. Um, life is just too short for that. But then with the newer kits, uh, I, I in particular started really turning back onto the plastics maybe two or three years ago when you guys did the plastic Soviet models in great coats. Um, from, yeah. for, I converted those into uh, a great coat Japanese army. And as I was working with those kits um, and then a few kits after that, just the ease in which they went together uh, was just fantastic. And again, this is great. Now you might think, oh, the arms that limits the posing of the models there's still a lot of great posing. Um, and whereas the old kit had a lot of bits and pieces on it, I feel like this this sprue is maybe crammed full um, of bits and pieces. I mean, you have tons of pouches. There's two different types of backpacks. There's a pile of heads. You get a variety of arms. Um, there's just a ton of different ways to outfit the models that come in this kit. And because of that... Uh, you can really get some great variety. You're not going to get the same 10 guys, or sorry, not even, like the same five guys over and over and over again, or even the same 10 guys. There's just tons of great variety. And you want to have a guy throwing a grenade, that arm's on there. You want a guy holding his helmet with wearing a hat or bareheaded, that guy's on there. You want to cut off a hand and put a pistol in its place, there's a pistol hand. You want somebody waving, that hand's on there. You want a, a bazooka loader who has the um, you know the bag of extra rockets over his shoulder, that's on there. It's just, it's fantastic. You can make so many different units from the American book just on the basic infantry sprue. It's just, it's, it's wonderful um, as a bolt action player. And as you say, the detailing is a lot better. Um, a technology's improved the way you guys do things and you've learned and not that things were bad before my German army from your first German kit is wonderful. I love it. This is better though, because it's just, you've put that time and effort in and you've improved over time. So I'm going to stop sounding like a fanboy and just say, I love these models. 
They're great. Yeah, Wojtek's done a fantastic job on these. Um, um, the, he, he's really got behind what we what we were trying to do, and totally. I think these are some of his best plastics to date. So, so well done to our diminutive Polish friend. Definitely. Um, yeah, I, I th- you know what you were saying about all the options you get on the kit. I mean, another joy of the plastics is that there's lots of interchanging with with mm-hmm. the existing kits. So, um, aside from the quilted Soviet arms and the smocked SS arms, mm-hmm. you've got a lot of crossover amongst yeah you know, British and German. Yeah, uh, yeah you, you want a, a different waving arm? Yeah, I'm sure we've got that on the Blitzkrieg German sprue. You want a different pointing arm? Yeah, I'm pretty certain that's going to be on the Japanese sprue. Um, and the beauty of plastic for converting is great because, you know, chopping them around and repositioning them is uh, much, much more easy than the metal figures. That's right. So and... yeah, it's it, it's it's certainly a, it was certainly a plan all along for us to have uh, interchangeable parts, uh, and I guess even if you um, you know take the uh, the smock tunics, you mm-hmm. know, a little bit of filing on the plastic, or a little bit of uh, green stuff on the uh, or putty on the quilted Soviet dolls, and they work just as well. So lots and lots of options there. Yeah, I think that's why our, our sprint sales are often uh, so popular. It's not so necessarily about somebody saying, oh, yeah, I must get 10 sprues of this for my army. Mm. It's often, oh, well, I've always wanted to do that conversion. I'll pick up that particular sprue in the, in, uh, you know, on this deal. And, uh, and uh, Bob's your uncle. So, yeah, yeah, all good. And uh, if you are an American player who already has plastics, adding another couple of sprues to these guys or another box of these guys um, as you say, the parts are interchangeable. You want to change a couple of heads on the guys you already have, boom. You want to add um, you know, a couple of different guys in the same uniforms uh, to, to your existing army to give you more variety in your posing, boom. There you go. You are all set. Um, it's just a great kit for that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, rather than go on and on about the, the, the Americans, you know how I love to talk about the mm-hmm. Americans, um, the, the next thing uh, I wanted to talk about was um, something of a beast. Everybody's familiar with the the dreaded Flak 88, the Flak 37. Uh, we've just recent, recent, uh, released our uh, plastic version. Um, so much easier to put together than uh, our metal kit. Um, has uh, an elevating barrel. Uh, rotating barrel yeah, the the, pist- the pistons for the um uh, for the barrel also work so it's not just a case of up and down but the you know as as the uh, the gun elevates the pistons go back into their, their sheaths i'm sure there's a better word for it yeah. um and all all in all it's a fantastic fantastic gun um they come with metal crew um, primarily because we want to be able to produce this uh, and make this available for all nations that uh, or all armies that used it. So um, obviously the, the, the price of plastic tooling is very high and it takes a long time. So rather than us, you know, wait for, for months and years to, to get an Africa Core 88 out or a Falschimier 88 out, go with metal um Metal crew allows us to to you know punch these out a lot faster. So, you know, um, Africa eighty eight, yeah. Winter German eighty eight, yeah. SS eighty eight, yes. Um, Last Levy eighty eight of the fall of Berlin, yes. Nice. Um, 
even giving the 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 Italians the ATH so they, they use them themselves. Yeah, absolutely. So expect to see us churning out ATAs, much to the chagrin of <laughs> Allied <laughs> tank commanders, I imagine. Oh yeah. Yeah, they are scary on the bolt action tabletop in a big, bad way. They are the big guns, and uh, I'm just excited that we're going to see more of them because it just means that, uh, you know, it just gives us a little more pause when uh, picking up those tank kits. Uh, you got to just bully your way across the board. Sorry, what? That doesn't sound good. Oh, I think it sounds like fun. It's given a reason for people not to buy tank kits. No, I think it's a great thing because there's this, do I take a tank? Do I, or there might be an 88. Ooh, but if I don't take the, if I don't take the, you know, if they don't have the 88, I don't have my tank and I need the tank. Do I do, ooh. And it's that psychological game of what am I going to put in my force? And it's just, yeah, it's just a lot of good fun. It just adds that extra element in the game that is available. Now, I know you can get an 88 kit right now, but... Just the fact that it's coming in plastic means it's more common, it's easier to get your paws on, uh, easier to put on that tabletop, and it just, just like in the actual World War II battlefield, you need to consider that that tool might be in your opponent's arsenal, and you need to be cagey when building your own forces, and that's just that just makes for good, uh, just good fun in my mind. Well, when it comes to fun, there, there's uh, a few little thing, little things and all that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In, t- in terms of playing with the uh, the the new plastic 88 uh, I defy anybody to not sit there making it elevate and rotate and making noises mm-hmm. because right, frankly that's what I do half the day it's a wonderful little kit and you said you've been working hard yeah yeah obviously you know it's all research and um, and development <laughs> right on right on all right all right well Okay, there's a lot to cover. Let's let's talk Doctor Who because you guys have a pile of things coming out for that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, obviously, for our, our exterminate game, um, the the game of Doctor Who mm-hmm. miniatures combat, uh, and also yeah, this appeals to just people who love Doctor Who collectors, yeah. people who want stuff stick on their monitors. So not necessarily gamers, but um, all of our kits uh, are getting the exterminate cards. Many of them already have them uh, with more to come. But yeah, we, just recently we've, re- we've released the Sontarans uh, and General Stahl and his bodyguard. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, highly aggressive comedy space potatoes, I think you probably call them. Yes. Um, everybody's favorite um, kind of villain. Yes. Uh, they had a, a, another facet to to the game, another faction to play with, mm-hmm. uh, and then uh, we released. We've just released the Autons. So these are um, living plastic um, creatures uh, from the nesting consciousness, uh, and uh, we've decided to because there are there are several instances of these, these over the the many decades of Doctor Who. We went for the most recent. Um, Primarily because um, they were featured in the first episode of the uh, what's locally called the uh, the rebooted series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as you say, Christopher Eccleston and uh, and um, Billy Piper as Rose. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Um, we thought there was a, you know, a lot more fun to be had there with, you know, um, a bride in a wedding dress, uh, a little girl, mm-hmm. um, you know, male mannequins, than um, some of the, the older, more classic looks, which were uh, very, very similar to each other. That's not to preclude us going back and doing those in time, but uh, right. we felt the first autons were, you know, get a bit of variety in there. Uh, and and they that, that look fantastic, very spooky, especially the ones where the faces haven't quite uh, formed fully. Yeah, the models for those look really good. And I, as you say, it's really nice the way that you guys have done that. The, the mannequin-esque ones where the faces don't quite look detailed enough to be your standard tabletop model. Um, but yeah. that's intentional, of course. Yeah, absolutely. When they were when they're forming, they're, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes they'll they'll go into action uh, unformed. You know, some of them may not have uh, all their features, or in this case, any features. Um, another um, force that we put on that, that seems to have gone down very very well are, are the Maya, uh, led by um, the, the the villain known as Odin, uh, after the, uh, the the Norse god, uh, the All Father. Uh, and these are fantastic. You know, big um, combat suits. Um, well, obviously, that, that they formed um, the backdrop for um, the introduction of a shelter who um, became immortal and uh, over time uh, recurs throughout the Twelfth Doctor's um, series. Um, and, and these have gone down very, very well because they, they just look immense. Nice. Uh, and then, yeah, probably the last thing for we to talk about on Doctor Who uh, is our long-anticipated uh, uh, diorama. So this is the Tomb of the Cybermen from uh, uh, the um, the episode of the same name. Uh, so it's a uh, resin and, and wood um, facade of the uh, the tomb itself, uh, where the cyber controller and the, uh, the Cybermen break out of the uh, break out of the uh, the tomb that they've been uh, held in when the second doctor joins a, an expedition. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that'll come with a couple of uh, Cybermen breaking out and climbing down. Uh, we've only got a very, very limited number of these, and when they're gone, they're gone. So uh, if you see them up for pre-order, uh, <laughs> snap their hands off. That's right. We won't be making this one again. Nice. Oh, that's yeah, cool. Well, and and then, we've got loads more. We've got more doctors coming. We've got more villains. Uh, it's an endless cycle. That's right. Especially with a new doctor, new companions, and I'm sure reimagined new villains coming very soon to a television screen near us. Yeah, we've we've already um, submitted um, a thirteenth Doctor and thirteenth Doctor's TARDIS um, to the BBC. Uh, so we're just waiting for feedback on that from Jodie Whittaker, the new Doctor. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, we should see her before too too long. I mean, the, the new series comes out later this year, so right. hopefully we'll have ours out soon. Fantastic. Well, I, am, I cannot wait to see uh, what you guys do with her and to see the new episodes of the new Doctor, too, because uh, I've definitely been going through a little... Doctor Who withdrawal with my wife, and uh, it's definitely time that we get some new Doctor in us. And uh, oh God, I, I'm wondering if I can get my wife to want to play this with me because that oh, it's so tempting. Anyway, um, of course you can, man of your talents. Yeah, uh, we'll see about that. I think she's tired of my talents. <clears throat> um, so <laughs> yeah, exactly. Moving. <laughs> oh, awkward. Uh, so. 
Speaking of giving you guys feedback, uh, I understand an old popular uh, communication device, uh, so to speak, a social media platform is back. Uh, can you tell us about the Warlord Forums, the new ones? Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, right from the, the start of Warlord, we were very, very keen to, to interact with... Uh, the community and the, our customers, our fans. Uh, and one of the, the, the key areas we did that was through the Warlord forums. Um, they were very, very popular, um, highly populated. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, we had to remove them uh, after we were had a, a number of hacking attempts by Ooh. unknown assailants. Uh, and and we, we decided that, yeah, as they were trying to get through the forums, to uh, our web store and our website, and, and they didn't manage to do it happily. Yeah, uh, as they were trying to do that, we, we took them down. Uh, we wanted to um, ensure that security is absolutely top notch uh, and bolster that um, rather than uh, leave anything to chance. And uh, but they're now back, so um, they're, they're being populated. I'd uh, heartily recommend anybody uh, interested goes to the Wallet forums. You can find them on our website. Uh, and joins in the fun. We're, we're covering all our games, um, and you know, happily talk about the broader church of the hobby. Nice, fantastic. Well, in a, a, a past episode, we did talk about the new Antares supplement. Uh, you know, the whole Dragon Scourge returns. Can you tell us more about? Uh, the release because I mean clearly the drone models the mod the pictures of them have been up um, and people have now sort of been getting their hands on things. Um, what's the community's response to all this, Ben? Uh, very po very positive. The um, the the drone scourge returns and the Viride drone scourge models uh, have gone down a storm. Uh, one of the things that uh, we had feedback on was that um, the game was wanted less bipedal models. Um, mm. um, the majority of the, the models in the range had been uh, humanoid in various forms mm -hmm. um, because that forms you know, a good part of the backstory. But they wanted something a little different. And um, you know, we, were, we were keen to add something uh, robotic, but we didn't want to go down the, 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 the same bipedal form. You know, we didn't want Terminators and we didn't mm -hmm. want Cybermen. Uh, we didn't want Necrons. Exactly. Uh, we wanted something very, very different. Um, um, and um, between myself, Tim Bancroft, the author, and Marco, uh, one of our sculptors, um, we've come up with a, a look which uh, are all hovering drones. They have a uh, almost like a mix of robot, dinosaur, and insect about them, which is a very, very cool combination. It is. Um, and, they've, and they've been uh, accepted by uh, the gaming community very, very well. Uh, and there's lots more of that to come, so um, both for the Virai, but also uh, adding in more racist factions, probably even mercenary units. Uh, one thing we're, we're keen to do, one thing we're very keen to do is um, diversify the look of the uh, various races in the Antares universe. And whilst it might not be a full faction, um, as we did recently with the Hook Bounty Hunter and the Anchorist um, kind of hunting creatures, go for something that's very, very different, uh, helps develop the background, and it's something that a lot of different factions can use rather than it only being for the Freeborn or only being for the Isaurians. Um, 
and we've also been working on uh, a bunch of mercenaries already so hopefully before very long you'll see more releases coming through for uh, various factions nice oh that yeah that is fantastic and i'm loving the whole uh the the claustrophobic of feeling of fighting in space that the uh, that the the new expansion brings to the game uh and that whole tunnel fighting aspect it's just it it just adds a really interesting element to the tabletop when you're playing um you know everything but gates with depending on what army you're playing um any army it really does just change the way that you approach the battlefield it's very cool yeah i mean it, that was um something that tim was very very keen to do from the start was you know um take it in different directions and give different opportunities for players to uh, revitalize the way they play games of uh, beyond the gates of Antares mm -hmm. rather than it just be right. Okay. Let's set out on that flat, flat table with a bit of terrain yeah. uh, was to, to allow us to have more stuff in there, um, more um, uh, diversity of games. Uh, and I think Tim's already got ideas for more stuff coming through. Oh yeah. He's, uh, he's definitely got some, he mentioned a few off air when I was talking with him. Uh, I don't know anything in specific, but, uh, he definitely said he had a lot of ideas in his hat. So, uh, can't wait to see what he coughs up because just, yeah, the future's bright with that game. There's just so many different, uh, it, being such an open universe, there's just so many different places you could go. It's just, it's exciting. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, yeah, it has its own vibe. Uh, it's its own uh, background, which is very different to uh, a lot of what's already out there in the world. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the things that uh, is appealing to most people. Is, aside from the, the game system itself being very, very good, yes, um, the the whole um, kind of background, the hard science feel, uh, is much cleaner mm -hmm. um, and more believable in a way. Um, than a lot of what's out there in the marketplace at the moment, uh, and that's a that's a, an area that we we try and um, stick to when we're we're looking at new races, etc. Yeah, how believable are they? Are they mm -hmm. just too fantastic for words, or are they yeah you know, something that yeah we could we could imagine, um, but yeah without making them dull. Yeah, exactly. we want we want our miniatures to be exciting and uh, inspirational, and uh, yeah, hopefully that's what we do. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think you succeed, but as as we determined earlier, I might be biased. Uh, well, <laughs> speaking of my bias and things that I'm incredibly excited about, um, I think that we should probably get on with it. Um, we have an incredibly special guest for me personally as a huge fan of Conflict 47. I'm having the guys from, Conf uh, from Clockwork Gob Goblin on to talk about the new... Uh, Defiance book is just exciting for me beyond words and it yeah so I'm going to stop talking about it and get to talking about it so Paul thank you again for joining us on your own podcast um, any final words before we roll on and uh, get uh, down and dirty in the weird war no no I shall hand you over to um, the goblinoids and let them have their have their fill yes. um, I'm, I'm sure it'll be incredibly interesting I'm, I'm looking forward to listening to them Excellent. Uh, and i'll talk to you again in a month 
Fantastic. Well, until then, uh, if you have any, again, I do say it, I think, at the end of the episode, but if you do have any sneers, cheers, abuses, or anything you would like to share, positive or negative, um, we do love to hear from you. You can contact us through the info at Warlord Games um, that Paul was talking about before, or you can contact me directly. Uh, my name is Brad. You can find me through my other podcast uh, page. That is Cast Dice, C-A-S-T-D-I-C-E. If you type that into Facebook, um, the, the Facebook page for the home of that podcast will appear. Uh, you can message me there. Uh, I do have to thank, again, the fans who have contacted us there and, and just said what they liked or what they would like us to do better on the show um, or the things they would like to hear more about. Uh, and I hope you Strontium Dog fans uh, are at least temporarily satiated, uh, and uh, we hope to bring you more on that in the extreme near future. Right, Paul? Oh, yes. Lots more to come. Yes. All right. Uh, we will leave you with that, and we'll be right back with more Conflict 47. Welcome back. And I am so excited. Uh, I know on the Warlord cast, we often talk to, you know, authors of different games, um, people who are in the community for different games that Warlord make and sell. Uh, but this is a game that I play, and this is a game that I play a lot, and I love it. Uh, this is Conflict 47 that I'm talking about, which is sort of the Weird War rule set for bolt action. Now, Warlord, yes, they they make the models, and they they, they send them out, and they sell them to stores, but they're not the ones who are designing the, the models. They're not the ones who are actually writing the rules for this particular set. Sure, they get their say, and they work in conjunction with this private little uh, studio, as it would be, but I guess what I need to do is introduce the man behind the book. Um, now, it is a group of individuals, but Chris is the gentleman who is joining us today from Clockwork Goblin Miniatures, and he is going to be talking about how Conflict 47 continues, rolls forward in the new book, Defiance. Chris, welcome to the Warlord cast. Hi, Brad. Thanks uh, Thanks for inviting me along. Really, really glad to be here. So, uh, yeah. Good chance to talk about the stuff coming up. Oh, mate, it is so good, and especially after uh, Resurgence popped up and it just expanded the game's universe. We went from having four different armies, of course, the big four, the United States, Germany, uh, Soviet Union, and the UK, and, and then in Resurgence we got the Finns, we got the Japanese, and we got a ton of new rules and a ton of new units. But I guess, hold on, I'm jumping the gun. So much excitement about what Defiance, the new book that's coming up, is going to bring as well. Uh, given just how exciting Resurgence was um, for the game as a whole and its fans. But before we get there, I know a lot of people have been wondering. So if Warlord isn't the one making Conflict 47, who are these Clockwork Goblin guys? And how are they, in, you know, how are they involved with Warlord? Would you like to take us down a little trip down memory lane and... Let us know how it all started. Yeah, sure can. Um, so Clockwork Goblin. So we're a little independent outfit. Uh, for those of you on the Facebook page, you'll have come across the entire team. Uh, myself, uh, Chris does most of the books and the rules and the writing in, in conjunction with the, the other guys. Then Rust is our sculptor. Uh, mm -hmm. He's uh, quite well established in the industry now, and we're lucky enough to have him as part of our uh, friend and business group. Uh, and then H is uh, is our 
is our specialist in all things production, be it 3D printing, painting, modeling, crafting, photography. He's the uh, he's a hands-on guy when it comes to getting the uh, the ideas that we have into into actually a physical product Warlord can use. Yeah. What's uh, what's not perhaps first obvious is is we're all doing this part-time. So uh, we all have day jobs to manage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's why we're, we're we're particularly pleased, really, with where we've got Conflict Forty Seven as it stands at the minute, because it's very much a labour of love, uh, and one that we uh, we work you know particularly hard at to to get out into the wild, as it were. Yeah, I mean, but with a small group of individuals working together, you guys really do complement with one another. We see that in the way that you interact on the. By the way, it is the Conflict Forty Seven. Uh, official Facebook page that you were talking about before, um, just for That's those right. yeah. for those who are wondering, um, just the way you interact with one another, you definitely all have your role within the the creation of the game and um, how the parts interact. Be it you know what models are coming out or the way the rules work or um, you know the artistic uh, aesthetic of the models of each nation, uh, and it's just really it's interesting. I mean, you can clearly see it when you see you guys the way you post online and the way you talk about things. And it's just really nice to see that. Um, and I think with a, such a small group, but with a group where everyone has their role, um, you often get a, uh, it, it's just a smooth running machine, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, has it always been that way? It just feels like you guys have known each other forever, the way you work together. Well, funny you should phrase it like that. We we have, the three of us have known each other a long time now. Um yeah, going back to yeah days when most of us had hair, for example. <laughs> um, no, we, we we go back you know, twenty years plus as a wow. as a a group of friends. But um, yeah, the 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 business angle, if you like, is something more recent. Something Russ and I started as a as a little experiment about five or six years ago, mm-hmm. and when we realised we actually had some. Uh, some skills and some potential that we could use and a few ideas we uh, we got h on board and uh, it's it's gone from there really the big break was of course selling the idea to warlord which was a a lucky sequence of events that landed us here today so what happened how did that come about because um there were rumors of a weird war rule set almost from day dot when bolt action came out we heard rumblings but it wasn't until years later, um, almost to Bolt Action's second edition, that we actually saw the rules as in their finished hardback format. Um, I, I can't speak for the sort of the early days of Bolt Action because I wasn't really playing at the very mm. start. But uh, I think, I mean, the idea that there would be a weird set of rules or a variation, as you say, goes back to perhaps the early the early concept and i guess you know someone from warlord or osprey or the pair of them could probably explain that better mm. uh, but i think the uh, the lucky break for us was we had a weird war concept we were playing around at 15 mil mm-hmm. and it's something that we may go back to but that's another another issue mm. um so we were able to effectively take uh digital 15 mil models and obviously being digital they could scale easily uh, and effectively did a, a pitch for those of us in the UK that know the Dragon's Den TV series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we went up for a chat and found ourselves in a full uh, present to the directors type scenario. Uh, and I guess at about the time they were looking on how they were going to solve their weird war solution, we provided them one, which was obviously very fortunate. Yeah, that's great for everyone involved. And I think that goes back, I'm trying to think, January 14, I think, was the... Uh, 
the early negotiations and we, we, we threw some models around and showed what we could do and uh, John and Paul and the team at Warlord uh, said they'd give us a go. So um, here we are. Fantastic. And I'm glad they did. Well, okay. So Conflict 47, the base rule set, um, it... Some people uh, have this idea that conflict is maybe a bolt-on, pardon the pun, to the bolt-action uh, rule set, um, and that it maybe is an expansion. But it isn't, is it? Conflict 47 is its own rule set. And the basic rules that are, that are in the hardback book, um, very they mirror what was present in version 1. Um, would you like to talk about how that sort of came about, why you went with your own version of the rules rather than, you know, just an expansion adding to them? And then how did that change with Resurgence? Yeah, um, the original, I mean, we batted around the idea about whether it would be a separate book or a separate uh, expansion. And a lot of it came down to trying to estimate or guess our target audience. Mm-hmm. Um, the wargaming industry is not renowned for its sort of research and market research uh, skills, should we say? <laughs> no, it's uh, not. And we were we were toying, you know, toying and debating between whether we were looking at bolt action players as our base that would step into something a little more science fictiony or weird, mm-hmm. uh, or whether we were looking actually for forty k players that were looking for something a little more historical but not too not too rigorous, mm-hmm. uh, or people literally picking it up, you know, from scratch. So we decided that we would probably be better having a standalone game that anyone that, you know, so effectively opened it up to the non-bolt action player market. Nice. Uh, and that gave us, gave us a product that could be stocked separately, marketed separately, uh, and would potentially, you know, avoid the, we're just using bolt action players as our base and you've got to buy all the bolt action rules before you can buy our book sort of approach. That makes sense. And it also means, but um, I guess it also has the familiarity of bolt action of the basic rules so that bolt action players come in and they're able to play the game with very little um, change to what they're used to. Yeah, absolutely. And of course they'll have a figure collection that's 90 plus percent compatible, compatible as well. So it's, it's an, it's an easy step for bolt action players this way, but it's, it's key about, you know, getting non bolt action players having an equally easy approach and entry to the game. Uh, and obviously, the bolt action game engine is a proven game engine, so you know it made it a little little easier to start with that uh, to build the uh, build the extra rules upon. Nice. Well, let's talk about some of those new extra rules. Um, in Resurgence, we got a pile of new rules. Um, the game itself fundamentally changed, and it moved um, sort of forward past its uh, version one of bolt action roots into a more version two, I guess more aligned with version two, but it is still a very different game. Um, if anything, with the, the rules that came in resurgence, it really came into sort of its own light. For example, you don't use templates. Um, Tough Fighter operates uh, differently as far as SMGs, uh, submachine gun troops having versus um, guys who are running around with swords. Um, there's lots of little nuanced changes um, often brought on with the reaction system. Um, why did you... I know that... Maybe can you talk about why you updated the rules in uh, Resurgence uh, and just talk us through that? Because I think I know, but I, our listeners may not know. Yeah, it's, uh, I, know, I know it's a common question as to 
yeah, particularly the release of Conflict being very close to the release of Bolt Action mm. version 2. I mean, I think there was just some um, pragmatic logistical reasons why we were working independently, if you like, of the, the Warlord planning cycle. Uh, we were an unproven entity. We were we didn't know quite what the product was going to look like. Uh, the the actual release dates were quite separate until some publishing deadline changes brought them much closer together. So I mean, it was just one of those circumstances that that we released Conflict uh, as a, as a you know as a complete game just before uh, I think it was two months maybe something like that before mm-hmm. Bolt Action Two dropped. Uh, and, and we weren't involved in the Bolt Action 2 project. You know, we're not Warlord employees. We were we were still right. a little bit an untried you know, quantity at that mm-hmm. point, so that all makes sense. Clearly, some of the Bolt Action 2 rules are actually pretty good improvements, mm. but I would say not everyone suits every game. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, there was an opportunity in Resurgence to take some of the, what I thought was really good stuff from, from Bolt Action 2 and make sure it was part of the conflict rule set. But the the uh, the principles I apply with the conflict set is that I'm trying to give the player, the commander, more choice. He's got to make a, a cost gain uh, assessment on what mm-hmm. he does. You know, that's part of the reaction rules. Uh, it's part of a lot of the rift tech troops not being overly powerful or being good at one thing but noticeably bad at another. Right. Yeah, you know, there should be a consequence to most decisions, uh, and the more the more consequence-based decisions i can make a player making the game in my mind gives him a better experience as a as a tactical commander in a game yeah and i i really as a conflict 47 player i really liked how um as i came over from bolt action to play conflict 47 my one of my biggest fears was that the new rift tech units or you know some of the tanks that we were seeing or some of the walkers all of those things um, they would just be that much better than things you may find in a bolt action book um, to the point where you wouldn't want to take one over the other. Um, but I really, really like, I mean, clearly you put a lot of time and thought into balance um, because I played a lot of Conflict 47 and I don't feel like anything is particularly slanted one way or the other it just you can take a bolt action army and do really well playing conflict 47 because those units are in the universe and you can play it that way if you want to add a walker or add a unit of strike wolfen or whatever you would like to your army it can find a place there but it won't overpower your opponent either if that makes sense yeah and that, that was very much the intent and you know i'm sure there's a there's a huge amount of debate on whether we've got the balance of all the units spot on but i'm i'm comfortable that we're pretty close mm. uh in in slower time once we've got the uh this arc of books released we can we can revisit perhaps some of the units causing a few questions but uh, on the whole uh we're, we're quite happy mm. and uh we have the we have the position now as an established game where if we want to take the rules in a, a slightly divergent path to bolt action we can mm-hmm. Uh, equally, if there's no need to do that to achieve the, the type of game we want, we don't have to. So uh, we're at a nice, a nice juncture point now. Although, uh, as we get on to later, I think we'll see a few, few experimental rules in defiance that will, uh, will add another layer to the game. Nice. Oh, that's great. I'm looking forward to uh, reading and playing those. Um, well, okay. Let's talk about some of those changes. Um, I mean, clearly. The community has been playing this, not just me. Um, how receptive have people been to these uh, the new rules that were brought forward in Resurgence? Um, 
And did you, did any of that reaction sort of influence the way you guys approach Defiance? Yeah. As far as I can tell, and, and I, I may be I may be living in my uh, rose tinted greenhouse, <laughs> but um, as far as I can tell, the changes we added in Resurgence have gone down gone down very well. I mean, mm. they're obviously familiar in many cases to bolt action players. Uh, to those that don't play bolt action, they're obviously just adjustments to the rules. Mm-hmm. I think it was important at that point that we didn't go too divergent too early. Mm-hmm. So some of the key rules in bolt action two, like reducing assault rifle range to 18, mm-hmm. it, it would have just been awkward not to, not to mirror that. Right. Uh, and it keeps the rules comfortable between, you know, for players that flip between the two, but equally we didn't feel slave bound to follow all of them. So I know one of the, uh, one of the debates and, you know, question marks is the shape charge rule minus one to hit when firing the old uh, bazookas and panzer shreks mm-hmm. um you know i i still see this as an infantry based game you know i i like the fact that you can take out a very expensive vehicle with a five point disposable anti-tank weapon mm-hmm. but i'm fairly certain it shouldn't be too easy agreed uh, so i'm comfortable with the minus one to hit and i know uh, some players will be devastated to hear that um but it's it's not going away anytime soon in my mind. Yeah. But so that was my 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 opportunity, if you like, to 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 keep some of the stuff that I I felt represented the uh, the style of game that we wanted in conflict, whilst whilst bringing in some you know some quite good rules from Bolt Action Two. I particularly love the snap to action mm. uh, sort of command options that it gives because again it's all about consequence. Agreed. You know, move two or three units early you lose dice in the bag for later in the turn. It's all about momentum and initiative. So that's exactly the sort of consequence management that I want to bring into the game. Nice. Well, I, I can hear the internet buzzing in my ears. So let me let me ask this question to you. If Resurgence changed the rules and updated things in several significant ways, um, what can we expect from Defiance? Are there going to be more rule changes if so, are they going to be more of a minor um, tweaking, or are you all, are you going to take another couple big swings at uh, the way the the game plays? So, as, as as we as we discussed, I think Resurgence hit the spot pretty pretty closely. So mm. we haven't felt the need to do anything drastic in uh, in Defiance. Nice. There are a couple of minor tweaks. Uh, there is some confusion in the wording, for example, about heavy weapons and the minus one penetration at long range. Mm. So I've, I've tried to tidy up some of the language. We've introduced a few new weapons. We've introduced the bad weather and terrain rules that have appeared in some of the uh, bolt action supplements, mm-hmm. but bringing them into the sort of the core conflict rules. But as far as the core rules go, we won't see any significant changes in defiance because I think we're in a fairly good space. Uh, with with one, I'm just skimming through my uh, I'm just skimming through my draft version here. There is one perhaps uh, significant rule change that's actually a very small part of the book, but may have a, a an interesting impact on the table, and that's the introduction of elite forces. Mm. Um, so I mean I don't know whether you want to go down that rabbit hole now or save it for a bit later. Oh, uh, let's. Uh, you've you've piqued my interest. Let's go down that hole. So are, is this um, new force selectors that we've been talk we've been hearing a little bit about? So so force selectors are in there, and, and we perhaps look at that on when we're looking at the the, the more narrative side of the game. Mm. But what we have introduced as. Uh, 
just a small teaser, if you like, is the concept of elite forces. Now, these units are the best of the best, as you'd imagine, mm -hmm. and can actually use an order test to put their order die back in the bag after they've activated. Ooh. So potentially giving them the opportunity to operate twice in a turn. Um, it's not a completely new concept. I, uh, I confess that the the concept has been around. I think Gates of Antares uses it quite heavily. Mm. Uh, and I liked the idea of, of units being able to operate just that much more effectively than some of their more regular peers. Mm. But, of course, it's something that we're going to regulate very heavily and, uh, and see the impact it has because, obviously, it can have... Yeah, a catastrophic effect on a game in some circumstances. Mm. And I'd imagine there'd be some sort of uh, point cost for that as well. I can't imagine, given how much you guys work to level the game that you've created or um, you know modified, that you'd allow something like that to happen without um, some sort of hefty consequence for the uh, player using it. Yeah, I mean, for certain. I mean, the points cost of these units are fairly substantial. Mm. Um and again, you know, we are on the balancing side, you know, making sure that the units might have a specialist role, but they're not universal, can-do-everything type units. Nice. Very nice. All right. Um, are, does that, is that something that will happen with every nation, or is it only so if, certain nations to start with? So every nation, I think, gets one unit. I think I've, uh, I've ensured that everyone has access to one elite unit at the moment. Uh, we are reserving additional units for sort of future releases later mm. on. So we'll we'll see how the uh, see how they interact and settle with the community. But I uh, I absolutely want these units to be few and far between. Otherwise, it uh, it it fundamentally rips up the balance of the game. Mm, agreed. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. Um, now we were talking a minute ago about uh, the force selection rules. One of the things that I've heard a few people say. Um, that they wished would be in Conflict 47 or that they'd like to see would be um, theater selectors. Well, that can be a little strange given that we're sort of swimming in murky waters of time and um, future what-if time. So um, I, I believe that you guys are, have sort of tackled that head-on by allowing people to take sort of themed armies. Is that right? Yeah, the, the theatre selectors obviously had a nice nice layer and, and variation to bolt action, and uh, yeah, I absolutely get why why they're popular. Um, I mean, there is a competitive edge about whether a particular selector is better than another one, and so on and so on. And I try and stay out of that debate. But what we figured was, you know, we can't refer to historical battles and orders of battles to give a flavour for a, a reinforced platoon selector. But what we can do is look at some generic themes. So what we've introduced for uh, for all the nations is at least a couple or one additional sort of force selector to the, the core selector uh, to allow some slightly more flavoured armies. So I'm just looking at the German uh, entry here and we've got the, the core German list, which is effectively the core list with any unique national rules applied. Mm -hmm. Then we've got an airborne variation, uh, an SS shock trooper variation and a heavy infantry variation. Nice. Uh, and then we've just played around with the four selectors to give each one of them a slightly unique feel without without too much uh, too much bending of the core selection options. Oh, that sounds fantastic. It, I mean, that really will open up the way people play the game. Um, I know that listing really, really gets a lot of players' um, juices flowing as far as, you know, building armies to, to fit a particular theme. And I, I just, I, I welcome any rules that allow players to 
sort of, uh, you know, stretch in new and interesting and sometimes uncomfortable ways to, uh, you know, <laughs> mix it up a little bit. And, and again, my, my principle of consequence is, is, is running through here. I'm just looking at the airborne list. So uh, you might find access to more, uh, I'm just having a look here, more infantry. So the compulsory infantry squads goes up for an airborne force because it's an infantry-based force. Uh, but they have uh, the option of taking both an artillery and air observer, for example. Oh, interesting. So, so you know, it's it's designed around a light infantry force. You know, they've got the uh, they've got the supporting arms on call, but not necessarily built into the force. So, uh, just flicking down, they can have two light or medium mortars, but no heavy mortars, for example. Mm. Um, so again, it, it's it's flavoursome. It's not designed to be. A competitive edge, although I'm sure, as you say, some players will spend an awful lot of time <laughs> um, combing through for some interesting combinations, and, and mm-hmm. that's all great. That's part of the game. But um, you know, the idea is just to add some flavour and some uh, some theatre, if you like, to the various base lists. Nice and fun. Um, yeah, that's what it all comes well, that's down the to. Key element. I mean, we are we are as a as a company, if you like, or as a group of players. You know not a competitive bunch mm. we play for fun we play we play more narrative games we play more uh, fluff orientated games so uh, sometimes the uh, the competitive community surprises us mm. um but that's all good it uh, keeps me on my toes trying to keep everything somewhere somewhere balanced right on well one of the things that people love about these books is that they bring new units into each army's armory it's not like you're getting so with resurgence we got the Finns and we got the japanese which i said before um and you would maybe expect at least maybe when i opened the book i went okay so we'll get you know full army lists for them and units to go in those army lists but what i didn't really expect was the 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 breadth um, and depth of units we got for all of the other major nations as well. You not only gave us um, some updated unit entries to sort of clean up um, and tighten up some of the older units, but also a bunch of new units, um, some that went with some of the new rules that came in Resurgence and some that just came, uh, that just added to the game, which made it cool. Um, so can you give us a few tidbits um, because I know there are listeners to this podcast who are probably playing each and every one of those nations. Can you give us just maybe a little, a little, t- a little taste of uh, what each nation might get? Um, I can list them for you if you like. <laughs> no, I've got uh, I've got the draft in front. I'll, uh, right. I'll skim through and pick out the highlights. Please. So um, the, the first point I just perhaps want to make clear is that obviously one of the the constant questions we get from newer players is about the use of bolt action units in conflict 47 mm. and not so much vice versa i realize there are you know a gazillion units in all the various bolt action supplements we've obviously focused on you know the late post-war units from those various supplements but i know other players you know, have models in their collection that they want to use um what i've tried to do with this book is expand the unit options for each of the nations. So it effectively means if you don't own a single rule book that doesn't have Conflict 47 written on it, mm-hmm. you still have a wide range of access to genuine historical units. Nice. Um, so in a way, it might make uh, it easier for, say, a tournament organiser to say, yeah, Conflict units only, but of course now you've got a much broader range of conventional units in the Conflict rule books. So uh, I've taken a look at most of the nations 
we've pulled out units of, for example, the German Sturm Pioneers, mm. um, most of the nations, so the Airborne and Marines for the Americans. I've you know given them their own squad entry, uh, pulled out from the various bolt action references, but made a few tweaks here and there to mm. sort of suit Conflict 47. So we won't find sort of uh, you're you're quite so restricted to the generic list from the first rule book. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, we're obviously not going to miss the opportunity to add some more rift and weird units. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm, I'm looking here at the Germans, the Nachtalben, uh, which are effectively wingless um, Naxjägers. Oh, nice. Uh, but, uh, that's uh, we're going back to the elite theme. This is the the German elite squad that we've in- introduced. So uh, you won't get better sort of reconnaissance troops than the Nachtalben. Now I'll just read through their special rules to whet your appetite. Mm. Fast IR vision, tough behind enemy lines, elite and tank hunter. Very nice. Now I can't help but hear behind enemy lines in there. So uh, what does that entail? So behind enemy lines is a is a, a I don't know whether it's a simplification. Basically, all those units that say can deploy as snipers, can deploy as forward observers mm-hmm. in the scenarios. Uh, I, I found it simpler just to create a behind enemy lines rule, which mm-hmm. I think might have cropped up in one of the supplements uh, in bolt action. So basically, it's a forward deployment rule nice. and it allows you to set up on the table ahead of your troops. Very nice and clear. That makes it nice and easy. Um, as well, a bolt I mean, there's action, so many yeah. units that have the ability, and it's presented in so many different ways. It was just an opportunity to tidy it up within Conflict 47. Um, so what else am I flicking through on the weird side? We've got some more tank option, tank turret options for the Germans. Uh, I think uh, people may well have seen the Panther with the uh, Schwerfeld projector on it. Oh, yeah. Uh, so that's uh, that's in there. Uh, and then, uh, you know, I'll, I'll throw it in casually. We've got the railgun turret options for the uh, for the Germans. Oh, hello. Uh, but I'll, I'll, I'll keep some things in my armory for, you know, oh. otherwise no one will buy the book if they know what's in it. <laughs> yes. Um, so we're looking at some big, some big railguns on the big, the big cats mm-hmm. and, and on the Zeus as well. So that will be a, a weapon set, if you like, which... Uh, takes the German obsessions with anti-tank guns just one level further, which which seems fitting. It does. Um, but to make that all more efficient, we've got the uh, the target designator squad, which brings in some rift technology that uh, may give some of those big anti-tank guns the option of a re-roll. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's an interaction between two squads, so you know requires a bit of thought and placement on the tabletop. Nice. Uh, and then that's, uh, that's probably... Oh, of course, the... Uh, the key one that's been trailed for ages is the the German jump walker. Yes. So the uh, the locust in English, and I, I I will butcher the German pronunciation, the Heuschrecker, nice. or the Heuschreck medium walker, mm-hmm. or locust in English. So the reversed engineered mud skipper is the easy way of thinking of it. Okay. Uh, so let's have a look. United States. Again, we break out some of the conventional squads to give them their own entry. I think their key infantry is the Paragon support unit, mm-hmm. uh, an evolution of the Rangers, but with a Paragon NCO, which oh, nice. gives some various options and uh, you know, pretty pretty heavily equipped. They can pretty much arm themselves with anything, and then you can choose a different flavor of NCO to add a different skill to the unit. So very much in keeping with what we've done with the Paragons thus far. Mm-hmm. Uh, we may even have managed to fit a Tesla cannon in a Grizzly, but... Oh, we'll see, we'll see how that goes. Oh wow! 
the Brits get quite a lot of uh, quite a lot of thought. Actually, we wanted to uh, bring in an element of the Commonwealth flavour, mm-hmm. uh, and obviously, there's some very um, very popular unit choices in the British Army that we wanted to look at. So uh, we've introduced a specific entry for the British Commandos, um, and that uh, that's quite a tough unit without having the need for any Rift Tech additions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we've uh, we've had a look at the Gurkhas as well because I know there's a lot of players that use Gurkhas, you know, either for the the, the cultural uh, interest in the in the nation or mm-hmm. because they happen to be quite efficient for their points. Mm. Um, so we've had a look at them and I've had a slight tweak. So they'll look slightly different to bolt action players' uh, familiarity with the section, mm-hmm. but we've changed their uh, changed their charge rules slightly to fit with the Conflict Forty Seven special rules that already exist. I'm glad so, you said uh, that. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because one of the things that we talked about when Conflict came out was that certain units didn't have Tough Fighter and they didn't have the assault rules that they had in Bolt Action um, because they didn't interact the right way. And the one that we looked at constantly when we, the game came out was Gurkhas. So I'd imagine you would have had to have changed those rules. Yeah, so we've... Uh, I mean, the Gurkhas weren't too much of a problem from a Conflict 47 perspective because although they, they have Tough Fighter, and rightly so... Uh, they're not uh, they're not heavily loaded down with SMGs, mm-hmm. so uh, you don't get that sort of um, extreme interaction between the two rules. Mm-hmm. But uh, obviously, their charge was it. I can't remember the name of the blood curdling charge or something yeah. like that. Uh, we've we've slightly toned down, I think, which which will probably be well appreciated. So really, we're using the horror rules that already existing. Conflict Forty Seven. Mm, nice. So they effectively fit, inflict horror on the enemy, but not on their own troops. So um, ties in nicely with a rule that's already in the game. Mm-hmm. Doesn't require anything unique, uh, and I think has the desired effect of making their charge, you know, unnerving to the people on the receiving end, mm-hmm. but uh, not necessarily automatically devastating. Yeah, that's great. I like that a lot. Um, so lots of vehicle options, obviously creeping in. Uh, for the British, we've also uh, done a bit of a Canadian flavour. We uh, we had a contribution from uh, from a Canadian who did a lot of work, and uh, we um, we took him up on that. And uh, Sandy Addison is is the guy we need to thank for that. He's mm-hmm. done a an excellent narrative on on the Canadian Army in uh, 1947. And it's also given us the opportunity then to bring in some of the Canadian favourites like the uh, the Ram Kangaroos mm-hmm. and the Polston Trucks. Nice. But, uh, but limiting, limiting them to Canadians because that, that also seems appropriate. So uh, if you want to use some of the unique Canadian toys, uh, you'll find that your Canadian force selector applies some interesting restrictions on your infantry. So uh, it will be effectively almost a, a mini mini list in its own right. Oh, that's awesome. I have a, I know of at least one Canadian player who's listening right now who is going to love reading that. Good. Well, that's uh, that's uh, hopefully hopefully a scratch itch of all those people that want their their Commonwealth forces to look slightly different. We've mm-hmm. uh, we've certainly uh, given some given some benefit to the Canadians. Uh, one of the big rift additions for the British is a heavy walker. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's uh, I can't talk too much about it. The rules are in there, but we haven't actually finished the design of it yet. Okay. So, uh, so I haven't got a mental picture of what it looks like. But um, a heavy, uh, a bipedal heavy walker with a heavy anti-tank gun uh, is a is a slight divergence from what we've seen before. 
Oh, that's uh, just awesome. Enough, enough on the Brits. Mm. I'm just trying to see ah the Soviets. Now this mm. uh, this took a lot of discussion because the Soviet list is pretty comprehensive already. Yeah, it is. Uh, but we decided that the anti-tank nature of their heavy armor was um, was was perfectly appropriate, but would have also led to the design of another version of heavy armored infantry. Mm-hmm. So uh, we will see we'll see two flavors of heavy armor for the Russians, a sort of a more the, the original anti-tank variant and a more uh, conventional anti-infantry version coming in. Nice. And then a lot of the Soviet is uh, looking at their elite forces, so uh, their scout squads, mm-hmm. special forces squads, um, and some of their tank hunting anti-tank teams just to bring them into sort of uh, into the Soviet flavor. Japanese, we yeah, we've managed to fit in a couple of new units for the Japanese. Um, they uh, they are they are expanding on their uh, technology sharing with the Germans. Mm-hmm. So there's uh, there's a bit of two or certainly a bit of rec- receiving on the Japanese end, and, and we'll see how much makes it back to Germany later on. But uh, I know they're a bit light on anti-tank options, the Japanese. So uh, uh, a Panzer Shrek uh, with a with a two-man battle frame team seems a fairly mobile option. Oh, that sounds great. So, uh, We've put that in, and uh, a battle frame officer just to uh, allow you to do a complete platoon um, seemed seemed a no-brainer. And we've got some ideas for the Japanese going forward that will, will be perhaps you know next year's project. But the other thing they have is their own variant of the German Locust, the Jump Walker, um, and that's on a that's on a license to build type scheme. Mm-hmm. But interestingly, the Japanese have taken the jump packs out, and. Uh, I'll leave that there. It's uh, it's a slight variation. Ah, nice. And that that really leads us to the Italians. I would note that the Finns don't get any new units. Um, the Finnish list is is fairly complete in my in my mind. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not saying we won't revisit it, but that's probably a, a a quick whiz through of some of the new stuff for the nations that aren't Italian. Nice. Well, why don't you? What can you tell us about the Italians in the Conflict Forty Seven universe? Um, they really. I guess, how do they differ from other nations, um, and how do they differ from their bolt-action counterparts? Yeah, the the Italians, as we they've, they've been introduced in the in the core rule books and in mm-hmm. the alternate history, so we know that the nations split. That's right. And we have Mussolini still in charge of a a northern fascist or the Republic of you know it's Italian socialist republic, mm-hmm. and then in the in the south we have the uh, the co-belligerent or, or allied facing kingdom of Italy. Uh, so we effectively see a country split, two independent nations with obviously their Axis and Allied mentors, and that, that plays out in the list. Um, each of the two nations has slight variations of their national rules, so it's not a generic national rule set. There are differences. Oh, interesting. Um, I've, had a look, I've had a look at the Avanti rule in, uh, in the Italian book, and, and I know that's a, a, should we say an area of debate among established Italian players. Yes, uh, I think you've probably got more experience of that than I have, and uh, my my main issue with it is if you take it purely statistically, it's a it's a neutral national rule. Mm. Yeah, it, it's as good as it's it is bad. Yes, and most national rules, or the whole point of most national rules, is to give a unique positive to a list. Agreed. Um, so that's what I've done. I've just changed it slightly so that when they're on the front foot, the Italians' morale goes up. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've simplified the negative side to sort of zero. So it's not as extreme as it is in bolt action, 
but it is a positive for being on the front foot, effectively. As an Italian player, let me say thank you. <laughs> well, we'll see what the reaction is from the broader community, but I, I, I just couldn't, couldn't sit comfortably with a national rule that wasn't a positive, because right. that's generally not what they're supposed to be. Right. Um, so other elements will remain familiar. Um, so the, the northern Italians, the RSI, are, are still very much defensively focused. Mm -hmm. that's, uh, that's both through their background, their force generation, and the reality of their tactical situation in, in 1947. Mm -hmm. So we'll see the familiar defensive special rules. Uh, but the, uh, the allied southern Italians lose that as a more offensive organisation and, uh, and benefit uh, from their 8 million bayonets rule, which, uh, which allows them an extra infantry squad in a similar way to the Soviets. Oh, nice. So, uh, so there's a slight variation there. And then uh, both nations receive mentorship from either the Germans or the US and the British, um, respectively, mm -hmm. which allows them to pull forward a, a unit or a tank or an anti-tank gun or, or whatever piece you like from one of those respective nations. So, again, there's an opportunity to drop in some interesting additions into their Italian forces. Very nice. And now I have to ask, as, a, uh, as a, an Auto-Sahariana player, the Auto-Sahariana uh, model makes an appearance in this book? It, it is in there, yes. I mean, there is perhaps some logic that the mountainous terrain of Italy is not its natural place. Right. Um, but it's such an iconic unit, there was absolutely no uh, no way I could take it out. Mm. Uh, and bolt-action players or players that are already familiar with an Italian army will see pretty much the uh, the same range of models available. Obviously, the, the yeah. early, early variants, a lot of the tanks have all been uh, thinned out. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we have effectively... The, the way the army list is presented is a is a core set of units that both both you know both nations of Italy can select from, nice. and then nation specific units uh, for both the the northern and southern countries, and that's where you see some of the influence of the uh, the Axis and Allied interactions. So for so I'm just moving through the generic units. So for the Allied uh, Allied Italian Army, the co belligerent army, mm -hmm. uh, we see. Heavily armoured infantry based off the British Galahad suits, mm -hmm. um, but then their uh, their paratroopers have access to the American Firefly jump packs. Nice. Um, and we see uh, the 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 Southern Italians fielding Stuart tanks as well as Shermans and seventeen pounder guns, and they've even managed to uh, procure a few Tesla cannons from the uh, from the Allies for some of those tank turrets. Very nice. Uh, and then again, access to the sort of the, the U.S. suite of walkers uh, to give the Italians a, a range of, of allied walker options. Mm -hmm. And there's a few little tweaks in there um, just to just add a bit of national difference. Thanks. Whereas the northern Italians, obviously, under their, their German mentorship, uh, have developed a heavy armor, heavy infantry armor based off the German suit. Mm -hmm. Uh, again, they've uh, they've also their paratroopers have also benefited from from German jump technology, uh, and we see uh, the Legio Aquila, which is effectively an Italian version of German SS shock troopers. Oh, very so nice. yeah, so there is there is some Italian flavoured um, you know Axis Axis technology, uh, and again we introduce uh, you know some of the Walkers uh, into the Italian force from from the German lists. I mean, what's what's interesting and what's different, perhaps, from say the Finnish list, 
um, is we've we've put quite a lot of design effort into making both these Italian armies visually different. Mm. Uh, I think there's one, two, three, four. There's six unique infantry sections that we're sculpting nice. to represent the Italian troops. Um, so they'll very much be a you know a complete figure range in in their own right, very much like the Japanese. So uh, a, a significant investment on our part, but we think we think the um, the richness of background and the whole brother against brother, north versus mm -hmm. south um, narrative it warrants warrants making them a sort of a major major army in the conflict forty seven universe. Absolutely. Um, so we've seen pictures of. Um, heavy armor suits, uh, heavy infantry wearing suits of armor that look almost like uh, legionnaires or gladiators. Um, which side are those? Um, just listening to your descriptions, it sounded like it could be either, but it sounds like they definitely belong on one side of that line. Well, we, we, we've done a bit of both, and this was, <laughs> this was another bone of... I'll say bone of contention. That's mm. probably uh, probably a little 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 strong. Mm. I mean, there was definitely a lot of debate um, and public appetite for for more weird, if you like, a little more extreme sculpting from our perspective. Mm -hmm. We obviously started the game in a very World War Two theme, right. um, and, and yeah, we're happy we're still in that theme. But there is clearly clearly demand for us to push some of the boundaries a little further. So. Um, yeah, based off some of the the debate and discussion and enthusiasm on the Facebook page, we've uh, we've pushed our design envelope a little bit with the Italians. So, uh, as a as a propaganda tool, as much as anything, the uh, the Northern Germans, the RSI heavy infantry, mm -hmm. uh, has the uh, has a, a representation of the the Roman legionary shield and helmet, mm -hmm. sort of built into the armor. Um, while still trying to keep it broadly functional and and logical, mm -hmm. uh, I, I, it's it's is at the further end of, of of weird whimsy, shall we say? But but <laughs> right. with a propaganda theme, um, very much about motivating the nation and, and mm -hmm. restoring confidence and you know building the morale of the armed forces up. There's there's an argument for a slightly more aesthetic look for their heavy armour. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, having done that, we couldn't resist doing it for the Kingdom of Italy as well. So the uh, the Bersaglieri uh, are the, the units that are equipped with the Galahad armored suits, mm -hmm. and uh, they haven't radically altered the suit, but they've added a, a gladiatorial-looking helmet uh, as part of a, again, part of that propaganda, confidence-building, mm -hmm. morale-boosting sort of uh, approach to to fighting effectively a civil war in their own country. Absolutely. And it's nice. I like how um, you very clearly have defined that and linked them to, the, to the, the mentality of the two different sides and how that plays out visually on the tabletop. Yeah, I mean, we've, we've got uh, we've got a, you know, from a political level, you've got an interesting dynamic. You've got certainly in the south, you've got an Italian army that wants to be re-equipped by the allies. But, yeah, this is a this is a period of war where resources are scarce. So to justify being equipped by the Allies, they've got to take the fight to their northern brethren. Right. Uh, and equally, the northern brethren realise that, you know, with the country split as it is, giving ground and surrendering perhaps isn't going to go well for them. Right. So you have almost a fanatical defence and, and a resolute stoicism that uh, they must hold the line against the uh, the other half of Italy. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm not saying it's going gonna, it's gonna to be in every player's 
for for mind but but that's the sort of thinking behind how we've gone about some of these units well i can't wait to see the actual italian rules uh and get my auto sahariana on the table uh i have to figure out which side they're on anyway um i guess that before i get to history let's let's talk um let's talk brass tacks rules like tough fighter were noticeably absent from units in the core conflict 47 rule book um but in this book the rule actually appears on several unit profiles. Um, I guess my question is, as the game matures, are you doing this to add more complexity to the unit types um, or maybe to give more variety between units on the tabletop? Um, what is your... Talk us through the process, I guess. So, so Tough Fighter obviously evolved between Bolt Action version 1 and version 2, mm. as did the Assault Rule for... You know, or the the way assault rule works for weapons. Right. Um, the the slightly unique version that Conflict 47 has sees effectively assault and tough fighter uh, complementing each other. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in the, in the hand-to-hand scale of capability, you have a bloke with a rifle with one attack, you have a bloke with an assault weapon, weapon with two attacks, mm-hmm. uh, a, a weird... Rift Tech Infantry Guy with Tooth and Claw with three attacks. Mm-hmm. And then Tough Fighter then sort of can basically make any one of those a little bit better. That's right. So you effectively get the three levels of close assault capability and then Tough Fighter sort of almost a one and a half, two and a half, three and a half type attack option. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously it needs to be carefully watched because as we'll see, and, and, and they're in there, the British commandos that can be pretty heavily SMG equipped as can some of the Soviet Special Forces units. Combining SMG and Tough Fighter gives you someone that can sort of stand their own with with a Tooth and Claw mm. equipped Shretwolfen or Natchega. So that's that's deliberate. That's That's been thought through. Uh, it basically allows a suitably well-equipped infantry squad, you know, the ability to defend itself or hold its own against some of the more horrific uh, hand-to-hand units. Um, that said... Yeah, we haven't thrown Tough Fighter everywhere in the book, so so some nations may find it slightly harder to get than others. Right. And it's certainly on specific units that effectively allows that unit to to have a to have a role on the battlefield. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could argue that the British commandos are now a short ranged assault unit, and uh, I don't have a problem with that from yeah. a from a conceptual point of view. Well, thank you. That was a great answer. Um. Well, all right. Let's talk brass tacks again. Um. Resurgence wasn't was an exciting expansion for Conflict 47 that really broadened the game out as a whole. Um, Defiance, I guess it's a two-part question. Um, do we get new missions like we did in Resurgence? Um, and how does the background material broaden the narrative of the story? Let, let's start with missions. Do we get new missions in this book? Because that's one of my favorite parts of Resurgence. Well, we, we do, but not in the same format of, um, you know, six new sort of generic scenarios. Mm. So uh, what we've done, one of our extended extended group of contributors has, uh, has written a rather rather smart little mini campaign. Nice. So we've introduced that. It's in, uh, it's in the book as, uh, I want to say Operation Trident. I'm just checking my, uh, checking my language. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Operation Trident introduces a... A linked game of, uh, I think it's up to four or five scenarios, mm-hmm. uh, of which there are a couple of, I think at least one, and I'm just reminding myself, 
new you know, new scenarios that, that add into that. So um, no no new missions in the sense of generic scenarios, mm-hmm. but uh, certainly a mini campaign, which is very much our our flavour of play. Um, you know, yeah. three, four, five linked games using the existing scenarios in a narrative to uh, to add add some flavour to the the weekly meetings that players may have. Mm-hmm. Um, so so yeah, that probably answers the questions on missions. I mean, with twelve missions on the books, right? I mean, plus obviously, you know, no reason you couldn't dip into the bolt action universe for more scenarios. Mm-hmm. Um, we're we're content. We have enough for now. Um, although it is something in the back of my mind that I want to look at later this year. Is, uh, is is re-scrubbing the scenarios and, and maybe looking at something in the future, something akin to a tournament pack. Mm-hmm. But um, again, not my natural way of playing, so uh, I'll be I'll be taking some advice on that going forward. Nice. Well, it's, I'm excited about the mini campaign rules. I, I'm enjoying playing a lot of narrative fun games of Conflict Forty Seven, and the fact that you've given us even more ways to play that is just it's just awesome. I'm I'm looking forward to it. So thank you. No worries. Now, how has the Conflict 47 timeline advanced? So the clock seems to jump forward um, a, a series of months every time we get an expansion. At least that was the case with Resurgence. Um, with Defiance, how far is the clock advancing? Um, so I guess what's happened since we last checked in? What big events in the world have happened? So, so when I sat down to write the book, that was exactly my intent. That we'd uh, each time we did a book, we'd 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 roll the clock forward. Um, what what happened in real life, if you like, is the fact that Resurgence and Defiance have come out in fairly close in book terms um, sequence. Mm-hmm. So there hasn't actually been, I don't think, a full year since Resurgence has been out. No, there is uh, not. And I and I felt that. Yeah, rapidly advancing the timeline would wouldn't necessarily help everyone settle into mm. the conflict forty seven sort of winter theme, the resurgence moving it into the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, all of a sudden, you're butting up against nineteen forty eight, and that gets slightly difficult from a title point of view. <laughs> yeah, it's <clears throat> me. Um, so, so what we've done is left the the timeline roughly where it is. Uh, well, exactly where it is, I suppose, is 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 the uh, is the, the key point. Mm. Uh, what we have done though is not not ignored background material. So we did some work with a uh, with a team in the UK that ran a big event last year, uh, and that introduced Norway and Norway's particular space in the uh, in the in the world. So we've introduced the background we created for their event. Uh, so that everybody now has access to it, which just fills in that northern flank to Europe. Uh, and it ties in a little bit with obviously the Finnish situation uh, and also explains you know, exactly what's happening. And also identifies Norway as a bit of a, a German hub of Rift Tech research, which, uh, you know, for those that are into their narrative and scenarios, gives some some interesting ideas for where you might might be wanting to do some some commando raids and similar type operations definitely but we've been uh, we've been deliberately light on the on the core history shall we say this book just because i don't think the game needed it uh, and it would have been forcing forcing the narrative and and restricting our options later on if that makes sense that does I feel like, though, given how much you, um, how much just was hinted at in Resurgence, that you would have plenty of uh, areas of the little pockets of the war to dig into with this book that would really 
um, you know, expand what you already wrote. So I, 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 I don't think you necessarily needed to advance the timeline. As you say, that would make things a little awkward later with Conflict 49, Conflict 50. Um, <laughs> but no, I, it was, there's, I always liked how the universe has a lot of great ideas. Um, sort of the White Death as the, um, the Finnish, uh, was it the Thor or the Zeus Walker instead of a sniper yeah. in, in the Conflict 47 book and how you gave us a little story of, you know, a Finnish um, Zeus coming out of the, um, coming out of a forest surrounded by Spinne walkers to, you know, raid Soviet, you know, invaders. And that just was so cinematic in my mind that it really got me thinking, oh, I need to paint one of those for myself. Um, and if you just tease out those rabbit holes that was, were introduced in, uh, Resurgence, uh, I'm sorry. And yeah, in Resurgence, I can't imagine that, uh, it's going to be bad. In fact, I can't wait to read it. It's, um, the fluff is just one of my favorite parts to read in those books. Well, we've like I say, we might not have um, might not have hit the history um, theme quite so uh, hard, but mm. uh, Mark De Santos wrote us a, a very thematic and uh, you know nice short story that's that's in there, which mm-hmm. uh, I'll leave people to enjoy. Nice. Um, we've got some you know um, narrative on the Canadian approach to to integrating automated infantry into their army, mm-hmm. uh, and we've got the bid on Norway. So I mean, there is there is a a broadening of the conflict 47 universe but in a in a less less formal way shall we say mm-hmm. and there was a slight you know pragmatic issue i think the book's sitting at about 112 pages um wow. which which is at the upper end of you know where these where these books sit in in page counts mm-hmm. um so so there was a there was getting to the point where there wasn't much room to put more stuff in from a from a pragmatic point of view as well well, that's saying something, given how much you were able to get into Resurgence, which was 100 pages. So uh, I, I really can't yes. wait to see what you do in this book. Yeah, so like I say, we, uh, I, mean, I, I, I don't know the final page count till Osprey come back with the print layout, and I was uh, a little mm-hmm. surprised to see it hit 112, but uh, also quite pleased that uh, people are going to get a, a decent book for their money, I hope. You can say that again. Um, that's that's very exciting news. I cannot wait to get my hands on it now. Um, all right. Well, as a designer, I, I guess I have to ask you this. Um, clearly, you have to look at this game. Um, I mean, you've spent so long on it, and you worked so hard on it over the years. Um, is there an aspect of the game that you have maybe your favorite? Um what what is what really drives you or excites you about um, <laughs> this wee beast you've created? <laughs> um, I mean, I think the fact that we've created something that looks you know unique enough to be absolutely its own beast while still living up to our our plans and our expectations. I mean, we've got a set of rules. I mean, uh, I was at Salute this year in the UK, obviously the big the big annual game show. Mm-hmm. Uh, the number of people that come up and say, you know, absolutely love the rules. We don't play conflict, but we use your rules for bolt action. I mean, that that's about as good uh, as as good a sort of a boost as I can get to my ego, if you like. That, that's that high praise. Something that, you know. I've created something for the wargaming hobby, or we mm. collectively, I should say, because it was a you know, absolute joint effort. We've created something that is now firmly entrenched in the wargaming uh, universe, if you like. Mm. Uh, that's got a lot of us in it, but but equally, you know, is 
is being accepted so well by by the community i mean we're we're loving it i mean we've got you know a wealth of areas to explore we've got the persian theater um i'm not a i'm not a specialist on the pacific theater but i know we've got space to grow in there mm-hmm. uh, i'm i'm just i'm just loving actually having something in the in the hobby that that i know that we designed and we created but it's still something that we love playing mm-hmm. um and that that works for us that's amazing well before before we go uh, i i would be remiss if i did not ask can you give us a little teaser i i know defiance technically isn't out yet or will be dropping very shortly around when this podcast goes out but the big question is and conflict 47 players love to ask in advance what's next any hints <laughs> i say i think what's next is a couple of months off mm-hmm. um the uh, the turnaround i mean in, you know joking aside the turnaround between resur- resurgence and defiance uh, was pretty brutal actually mm. and uh, something we've recognized both at our end and at warlord's end mm-hmm. so uh, what what's good is that these uh, this book effectively i think completes the uh, the core rules if you like for want of a better term mm-hmm. uh, the troop selection the force choices are all to a point now where nobody should be feeling disadvantaged or missing anything Right. So it gives us a good opportunity, and we, we were already talking about it. We've had a couple of get-togethers. You know, what next? Well, there's there's a few armies, obviously, that haven't had any specific attention. Um, so certainly, we're looking at you know some some force selector or list options, or, or light uh, maybe PDFs that we can release to cover some of the gaps. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's definitely on our cards. Um, we've obviously got to do. Um, say a full scrub of all the units I don't think the, the units are going to take too much scrutiny mm-hmm. but I would like to go through and just double check that all the units are sitting alongside each other as well as we think they are Nice. and then we've already got probably 6 to 10 new units in the works that are already being designed or concepted and the rules being tested so that we'll be able to uh, start a an additional units PDF, perhaps in the same way that Bolt Action used to do it. Nice. So, um, yeah, still still plenty of gaps to fill. Um, and I think there's just an element now of pacing ourselves. Now we've got the uh, the heavy lifting out of the way. That's right. Well, that's amazing. Yeah. I, I, now you can really sit back and put your feet up for uh, at least a week or two um, and enjoy <laughs> uh, just the the journey because you guys really have undergone this this giant effort um just to get it all done and out to us and we are absolutely loving the fruits of your uh your labor so thank you as a player and uh we absolutely look forward to hearing and seeing all of the uh the little ideas that come creeping out through the facebook page slash uh through these books so please keep it up no, absolutely. Uh, we uh, we have a long list of things that we want to tackle, and uh, fairly certain Warlord aren't going to let us take more than a few days off. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we will be back in the design studio. Um, well, we're already in it. Let's be honest. Yeah. <laughs> no sleep for the wicked, I think, is the uh, the expression. Or uh, no good deed goes unpunished. And uh, you guys have had some good deeds, so punishment's coming. Well, I appreciate the support. Like you say, it's uh, it's it's. It started as a, a labor of love, and it's uh, it's continuing to be so. So as long as it's as long as it's fun to do, which it clearly is, um, why would we stop? 
That's right. That's right. Well, Chris, thank you very much for coming on the Warlord cast. Um, it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you again. Uh, I look forward to talking to you again, hopefully, in uh, six to nine to 12 months, whenever we get uh, the next book or the next PDF or expansion, uh, and just kicking the tires again and talking about uh, all the other wonderful ideas you guys have uh, shaken loose and uh, presented for us to uh, to play with. Um, it's it's just awesome. Thank you again. Um, ladies no, thank you, Brad. Great to be here. Nice. Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, uh, that sadly brings us to the end of another Warlord cast. Uh, as I said, my name is Brad. Um, if you would like to give us feedback for this show, um, I am not a Warlord employee, um, but I do collect the feedback for these podcasts, and I do use them um, when we are creating our future casts. Um, we do have our next couple of casts scheduled, um, and we have some pretty exciting content coming your way. Um, however, if you would like to give us ideas, um, or you absolutely hate something that I do, um, or you would like to say you like something about uh, the cast or something that we've covered and you'd like us to do more of it, um, you can find me under uh, my other podcast name, which is Cast Dice, C-A-S-T space D-I-C-E. Um, if you search that out on Facebook, you will find a, a page called The Lando Misfit Toys slash The Home of the Cast Dice podcast, um, please message me there. Um, I would love to hear any feedback that you have. Um, the, the support from the Warlord community has been amazing, and uh, I look forward to hearing more of it um, and taking your ideas on to improve this podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, as always, thank you very much for listening. We know that uh, your time is precious, and though podcasts don't cost anything, it really is uh, wonderful that you have taken the time to listen to us, uh, the Warlord cast, and we would like to thank you for that. Good night.